0: Welcome to the Talking Book Podcast. I'm Perry Patterson, and today we are live with an author named Cindy. And Cindy, you're going to have to pronounce your last name.
1: Oh, I was I was wondering if you were going to. Ask well, okay. okay. This is
0: how I want to pronounce it. I'll pronounce it how I want to pronounce it. Go
1: for
0: it. Go for it. Oh my gosh, so close! Actually, so my husband's Greek,
1: uh-huh. and it is uh, it is pronounced in Greek.
0: Caeagarius, uh,
1: Okay. by here.
0: Okay, so Where, you're Cindy Caeagarius, Caeagarius, I kind of Caeagarius. That. Just call me
1: Cindy. Cindy. It's fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Talking About Podcast, Cindy. Um, Thanks. Cindy began her writing journey after the age of fifty, and during the pandemic. It was a perfect opportunity for her to write stories. Some of the stories have been haunting her dreams for decades. And when the characters started to shout day and night, she knew she had to write about them. And... She loves to read all types of romance. She loves fantasy, alien, contemporary, historical, slow burn, fast burn, and she can't stop writing swoon-worthy stories about second chances and Gen X characters over 40, later in life, mature, steamy romances, and she adds nostalgic stories from the 1980s and 90s with pop cultural references. In Cindy's previous life, she has been in advertising, fashion, and a small business owner. She's a proud native Californian, and she lives in Hermosa Beach, and she lives with her husband of 17 years, her two spunky children, or two opinionated children, and two spunky rescue kitties. Yeah. And also, it says that... um, You were diagnosed with dyslexia in your early 20s, and you started to read everything you could get your hands on after that diagnosis, but mostly suspense, spy, mystery, novels by Ludlam, Le Harry, Clancy, Follett, among others, which I found very interesting because normally diagnosis for dyslexia would happen when this, the child is like starting to read, starting to write, and the, the teacher starts picking up on like those kinds of things that um, they're having trouble with spelling, or they're having trouble writing, or they're having trouble comprehending, or they're having trouble with um, maybe pronouncing words, reading words backwards, um, that kind of thing. So tell do you want to talk a little bit about your uh, dyslexia diagnosis?
1: yeah I mean it's it's a it's a cautionary tale of a child in 1970s in the public school system where they just said I was left-handed and lazy and you know dumb and didn't they didn't have the diagnoses that they do now it wasn't diagnosed it was brushed aside it was uh dismissed mostly. And the worst part was that, well, not the worst part, but I have an identical twin sister who does not have it. And so they just assumed that, yeah, I'm left-handed, I'm lazy, I'm just, you know, slow, uh, Mm -hmm. all of those things. And um, so school was a challenge. And even through the 80s, they just, nobody really cared to look or check or do any tests or, you know, it just was like, oh, well, she's just dumb. That was it. And so, but I, you know, I, I wanted to read and my sister loved reading and she, we always had books around the house. So I would read the easy things like, uh, like Dr. Seuss, uh, like um, Shel Silverstein, um, mm-hmm. the little golden book. You know, even at the age of 11 and 12, when my contemporaries were reading chapter books, uh, I was still reading, you know, the real little kid books. But I was reading, Mm -hmm. uh, not well, but Mm -hmm. I was. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I just figured I'd, you know, do what I needed to do to get through it. And uh, all the way through high school. And um, again, having an identical twin sister who didn't have any problems, they're just like, oh, we'll just pass her, you know, we don't want to start a rift between the twins, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, so I graduated on time and uh, it wasn't until my second year in a junior college that uh, the um, language arts teacher was like, have you ever been tested for learning disabilities? I was like, mm-hmm. no. You know, so this was already 1989 mm-hmm. and uh, and so I was tested and back then for adults, there wasn't a lot of options. Um, so I did a weekend seminar that gave me some tips, but at the same time, I was now I was reading chapter books and you know, um, I had read Gone with the Wind uh, by the time I was 18. Wow. Um, But, uh, you know, it was, it took me a year, I think.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that book is like this thick. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. You know, I had to read paragraphs
1: over and over again.
0: Yeah. And and that's a book that's kind of like been in the back of my mind that I should read. I mean, I I watched the movie many times, loved it, loved it. Many Um, times, yeah heartbreaking at the end but loved it nevertheless but it's what it's a book that's kind of been on my TBR yeah. that I should read because I mean living in Atlanta I have yeah, had the opportunity you. <laughs> uh, I'm not originally from here I grew up in South Louisiana near New Orleans okay. but um yeah I've been to Margaret Mitchell's home here in Atlanta and it's so interesting to learn about how she wrote that book yeah. because she actually was writing it just on a typewriter and she would take chapters and like stuff them under like the couch cushions and like hold them there. And um one of her friends, she really was writing to kind of process a lot of stuff that she had heard her family members talk about over the okay. years, because all these stories had been passed down for generations And she just started writing about it, writing a story about, you know, just the things that she had heard. A friend of hers was like, this is really good. You should really, you know, submit it to a publishing company. And she was like, no, I don't think so. But she got talked into doing it and it was submitted, you know, the the actual stack of papers that she had, you know, typed up. And they didn't believe it was written by a woman at first. And so Um, It ended up getting published, obviously, but her husband saved segments of her actual original drafts where she had written notes on them. And those are in a vault in a church in Atlanta in the basement.
1: In a church?
0: Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah.
1: You know, it's so funny that you say that the publisher didn't believe that a woman wrote it. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually found that as well. I didn't really realize it's not, it's not a feminine story. It's the, the people who are um, the characters in it, the women are all very petty Mm -hmm. and the men are, you know, stronger. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the whole story is about Rhett Butler you have to realize that it's not about Scarlett, you know, it's all about, it's him. He's like the man. And it's, that was what I. So it's
0: a little so different from it. the movie you think? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I mean
1: the movie, it was like, you know, okay, Vivian Lee was beautiful and mm-hmm. that's what they wanted to show. And, but I'm telling you, Red Butler is a, one of the great characters of literature. He mm-hmm. really is.
0: He well, was I'm you know, definitely going to have to
1: and, you know, the, uh, the, you know, the reformed and but he was so just, there were so many layers to him. Later on, I discovered, and I can't remember who the author is, wrote a book called Rhett Butler's People. Okay. And it was all about him growing up in South Carolina oh. uh, and his character. And it was like a fanfic, you know, but it was like, I had to get my hands on that because I love Rhett Butler.
0: So it's was called, like, so the name of it is called Rhett Butler's People. Yes. I'm writing that down.
1: Yeah, okay. I can't remember the, the author's name, but yeah, I had to get my hands on that when I saw it. And that was years ago. It was like over 20 years okay. ago that this book came out.
0: So, okay. That's yeah. interesting. That's interesting. Well, I'm glad you, so you feel like you overcame your dyslexia from like just reading and reading and reading and reading the more you read. Okay.
1: Overcame it? No. Um. I think a couple of editors out there in the publishing world would be like, ah, she's like, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I think that what what happens is I just get stories in my head, and I, you know, it's little things, just like you know, voices and dialogue, and if I don't write them down, they'll just keep me up all night. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just writing what the people in my head were telling me to write and um, uh, what I did have what a lot of writers I'm finding don't have is the the, uh, the self promotion and marketing background that I did. Um, I was in the corporate world for a long time in sales and advertising and if you're not selling yourself and your mm-hmm. product at the same time, you're not going to be successful. So once I wrote Mm -hmm. something, I had a product Mm -hmm. and I could sell the heck out of anything. So, you know, this was something that I could sell and uh, and selling that to me is easy. Uh, Mm -hmm. But then I had to write it, you know, and I had to like (laughs) actually it's writing's hard. It's different than everybody Mm -hmm. thinks it is. It's Mm -hmm. it's so nuanced Mm -hmm. and uh, and and it's a, a learned. It's a learned it skill, is. and it, when you have, when your brain doesn't work the way that normal people do, do then it, it's it's even more complicated.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, I've had some editors get very exasperated with me, going, yeah. "Why haven't you learned how to do this yet?" And it's mm-hmm. like, it's not, it doesn't work that way. Sure. It doesn't work that way. Exactly,
0: it, it mm-hmm. works differently. Right. So
1: um so yeah, so I'm 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 still I, I haven't to to answer your question, no, I have not overcome it. Right. It's still there.
0: Right. Okay. But you you what I meant was that you're able to read books and enjoy Don't, it. Oh yeah. That, yeah. That's more yeah.
1: It, it was mm-hmm. um I was probably about eleven when the when I could actually see and comprehend the words. Okay. Uh, and uh, and then I just had to keep putting more and more words in my head and more and more words in my head, mm-hmm. and, and seeing them on paper for them to start making sense. So, but you know, there are still sometimes when I'll look at something, I'll be like, I have no idea what that is.
0: <laughs> right. Acronyms,
1: mm-hmm. acronyms kill me. Vanity license plates. I, you know, they just—I can't figure them out. There was a, there was a game show in the '90s mm-hmm. to figure out what vanity license plates were. Do you remember that show?
0: Not really. No. Oh,
1: okay. I, I could never acronyms, and and I still can't do that because you have to mm-hmm. sound out mm-hmm. the the letters, mm-hmm. you know, and and put them in like a pun kind of a context. And my brain just doesn't work that way. Okay.
0: So. Well, I, I do think we're about the same age. I graduated from yep. high school in 1985. I graduated from college in 1989. Mm-hmm. So I think we're yeah. probably about the same age maybe, or I may be older than you.
1: <laughs> I graduated in 88. So. Okay.
0: So I'm a yeah. little bit older. Okay. I'm a little bit older. Okay. Um, but I think you live in a really cool place. Um, and, and it sounds like we have a little bit in common because you were in the fashion fashion business. I was actually a fashion merchandising major. Um, Um, and, um, so I was a fashion merchandising major at the university of Alabama. I had no writing, um, skill whatsoever when I started my first novel, but I started writing a little bit before you, I think I put my first book out December of 2019. And and then in January of 2023, this past couple of months ago, I put my fifth book out. Not much longer. Not much. my fifth book out. yeah. Yeah. So and um so i I'm, I'm just you know starting to think about my 6th novel and how that will be um starting to think about that so um so so I kind of have a little bit in common But um when mm-hmm. i in, in you being a native californian um i just wanted to let you know i watched um it, the um jesus revolution movie that's filmed there um about Uh, it's about the guy from California, his name is um, um, Greg Laurie, Um, Harvest Church, um, Calvary, I think Calvary Chapel, um, and the Jesus Revolution that came down from San Francisco and then spread throughout the country. True story, I went to see it twice, and there's a place called Pirate's Cove, um, in California which is north of uh maybe San Diego or north of Sacramento I believe
1: Pirates Cove I believe is closer to Monterey mm-hmm. Big Sur area yeah maybe yes, but anyway
0: sure. um when I looked at the map it looked like it was like north of like maybe Sacramento it was north of you it was north of you right. is what it looks like yeah. but um but I saw it twice. It's so good and it's been extended in movie theaters. So if you have a chance to go see it, it's a great story from your neck of the woods. Um just true story, fantastic acting and I love Tell me it. what it's called again? It's called The Jesus Revolution. It's from like the Time Magazine issue from like 1972 was that caption? And so it's a true story that was that's kind of started out in California, but this whole movement just kind of spread through the young people into other areas. So it and it started out there. But yeah, it's it was really it's an excellent, excellent movie. But um the book that I read by you is called Two Princes, I believe. And that story is really interesting because it's kind of complicated in a way. Where you know this the the plot is very you know I mean you could have really gotten really into that plot I mean because it's all about this um, Middle Eastern company and then there's two guys that are princes that are cousins from the Middle East but tell us about the country that it's where the story kind of takes place I mean it does take place in New York it's fictional it's totally
1: oh, it's fictional. fictional okay so yeah oh yeah yeah it's totally fictional so um. I guess it's it's one of those, it's one of those stories where you, I, I was listening to um, just music one day in 1992 and I think I was listening to music and my roommate was watching the news and, you know, the first Gulf War had just ended and I was thinking about all of those little countries in the Middle East that we had never heard of before, like Kuwait and uh, Jordan, and they all had these royal families, right? And it's it's a different. I mean, obviously, it's a different religion. It's a different. It's completely different culture. But on the Mediterranean, um, my uh, it it was. It's all these, you know um, these, these royal families that live in these small countries that have all of this oil money.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And, um, when I was in college, I was friends with these, these guys who were from that part of the world who had so much God awful money at like 19 and 20 years old were driving BMWs and Mercedes. And it's like, who are these guys? You know? And, um, One of them confessed to me uh, that he was part of one of the royal families of one of these small countries, and that's why he had so much money, Okay. uh, but he didn't want anybody to know. You know, like his name was like Ralph or something. It wasn't, you know, I mean, well, that wasn't his birth name, but that was what, you know, and it was like, God, you know, why would not he want anybody to know, you know, but it, he like just didn't, he just didn't mm-hmm. want anybody to know. So that was where the idea of the family came from. It's like these American, they're born and raised in, in the States, but they have these ties to these royal families in the Middle East. And they just want to be known as American. They want to, you know, this guy listened to like, you know, heavy metal music. He was like a total headbanger. You know, he would like and but he would get like front row seats to Motley Crue and, you know, just like, you know, yeah. um, and he didn't have an accent. I mean, his parents did, but, you know, it was like, I thought that was just so crazy, you know, that he was actually a prince, but yeah. he was like so American at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, and he didn't want to be known as related to this royal family or anything like that. So I thought, what if the whole royal family were killed and he had to go take over? And that was where the story came from.
0: (laughs) Okay. Yeah, because at first, I mean, it takes place in 1996. Does the whole story take place in 96? And the book is right behind you on the shelf. Yes. Yeah, there it is. Um, Yeah, that's the one that I read. And my big martini glass. Oh yeah. <laughs> Cute. Yeah. So it's at first when I was reading it, I thought, okay, the the character name uh, is Rise, is that how you say it? Reese. Reese. Okay, because it spelled like R-H-Y-S or something. Yeah. Um
1: I didn't know how to spell it. This was like, I didn't know what I was doing with this book.
0: Yeah. But <laughs> it's really interesting. I mean, the whole plot. Of this story and this kidnapping and this, you know, family from the Middle East and like this company in New York and how they're going to try to get this girl to kind of pull the the brother out of hiding or whatever to kind of get to, to cut, him. Yeah. I mean, at first when I started reading it, you know, and it's talking about, you know, the guy's like a sniper or whatever, I was thinking it was because it was 96, I was thinking, Oh this is like an Afghanistan, you know, he's an American, but then of course after I got into the book I realized okay neither one of them are American.
1: They are.
0: They're, they're American, American, but they're but he was do he did something that caused him to shoot Americans I think or capture they, their they,
1: Yeah, it was well they were they, they were driving um Humvees, so hmm. it was it was mistaken that he killed Americans, but it okay. was really a terrorist group that were driving American
0: cars. Right. Okay. Yeah. But it's, you know, I mean, it was very interesting just all the military stuff in it was kind of cool. So I kind of thought, you know, that's pretty, that's a pretty in-depth plot. Like, like I could see this as like a mini series or something or mm. a movie or whatever because Those were all of
1: the Tom Clancy and, mm. you know, Um, Robert Ludlum, all that kind of reading came
0: into it. I I read a
1: lot of that stuff in the
0: in the late eighties and early nineties. Right. Okay. And tell a little bit about your your other book that you wrote because I didn't Uh, read that one. I only read the two princes.
1: Yeah. So my second one, the Perpetual, which is sort of like you know, I grew up here in LA,
0: and it's you have have a surfboard. surfboard. Yeah and it's the okay. covers painted on the surfboard. Okay, have you read Malibu Rising?
1: I did, you I did, did. I, did. Okay. I read every surfer romance I could get my hands on, um,
0: Okay.
1: yeah, oh yeah. So uh, growing up in LA, um, you know, I dated actors, I dated musicians, you know, they really didn't do anything for me, but I'll tell you what. Well,
0: okay, surfers- now you need to spill the tea on which actors you dated. <laughs>
1: Trust me, <laughs> nobody famous. No, nope, no, nope. I wasn't that hot. I like was at a certain, I was at a certain level of hot that didn't get like the rock stars. <laughs> okay,
0: so you weren't okay. You weren't dating like Leif Garrett, although no, well, no. Leif although cool. today <laughs> he's not as hot as you know he was back in the day. He's got no, a, a no. memoir. He's got a memoir out, which I started reading it. Um, because I was a huge fan I mean you know I mean back in the late 70s I mean who else were you I mean the Bee Gees and Andy Gibb and Leif Garrett were like yeah. everything and yeah. I started reading his memoir and it just got a little bit repetitive so I kind of pushed it aside and didn't finish it
1: mm. yeah oh I remember Leif Garrett when he was on the uh, Wonder Woman <laughs> Yeah. Um, but uh, no, nobody, nobody. And, but anyway, Surfers. Yeah. Was like, that was my jam. Okay. I loved surfers. And um, so uh, after writing Two Princes, um, it, a lot of it got cut out of it, but I fashioned the bad guy after an old boyfriend, uh, character wise and meet cute and all of that. And I thought, oh my God, what if, you know, he reads this and. And it becomes like a bestseller, and one day he just shows up to one of my book signings and knows it's him. And I was like, "Ooh, that would be kind of a cool story." So I started writing about a um, attorney who was recently widowed. To when she was going through all of her anxiety of her husband passing away, she wrote a book, but it wasn't about her anxiety or her horrible life. It was about this affair she had in her twenties with this professional surfer who only came in town for one week every year for the Huntington Open.
0: Oh, okay. And
1: uh, and so, and he would just come and crash at her house for like five years in a row in their 20s. And, you know, after a while, you know, she was like, I'm getting too old for this. This is a perpetual spin of nothing. You know, Mm -hmm. we need to just move on with our lives." So they did. Uh, For 25 years they moved on with their lives they married other people they had kids and then when her husband passed away and she published this book, it was obviously all about him. So he's recently divorced shows up at her book signing and uh, but he owes a Central American gangster $8 million. Oh, so, there's
0: that. <laughs> okay. Well, I definitely have to read the perpet. And it's called the perpetual.
1: It's called the perpetual. Okay. Yeah. I have, have my to- print copies are on their way right now. I'm very excited. I just I ordered like a whole huge box of the print copies, and I'll have it in my hands very soon. Well, ha- uh, tell us
0: how you got the um the special surfboard made with the cover of your book on it.
1: So isn't that fun? Yeah. Um, my husband picked up surfing uh in his 30s and so we have a bunch of boards lying around um he, this is a shredder board really like a short one mm-hmm. um he's more of a longboard kind of guy so it's just kind of sitting there collecting dust uh, my daughter is an artist and she is part of a collective and i went to the um curator and i said do you have an artist that i can commission to do my book cover on this surfboard. Cause it's a real surfboard. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Oh, you know, I have the perfect artist. So anyway, a student artist did it for me. And, uh, and yeah, I love nice. it. It's, uh, it's kind of cool, right? <laughs> it
0: is. It is very nice. Very, very nice. Interesting. Sounds like yeah. a fun book to read too. So I, I started it with, a fun one. yeah, I, I wasn't sure which one to read. So I just kind of started with the two princes, um, yeah. and went f- with that one. So, yeah. um, I'm super intrigued about the next one. So when, when did the perpetual come out? How long ago has it been out?
1: It came out in September on ebook and, uh, it just launched on print last week.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, actually a woman in my exercise class was like, Hey, I just ordered the print version. I'm like, I didn't even know. So, um, <laughs> so and now, now it's going to be, uh, in print, uh, it is in print. And then I just signed a contract for the sequel.
0: Oh, nice! Nice. So that's
1: pretty exciting. Yeah. Nice. And this one is like it's a grumpy, grumpy. It's so when this one is like the the fun one, like *Romancing the Stone* kind of thing. Uh, the second one is more like I, I. It's like a love letter to Christina Applegate and her character, Jen from Dead to Me. Did you watch mm-hmm. that show?
0: I did, I did.
1: Okay, I loved that character beyond reason, mm-hmm. <laughs> like beyond reason. Mm-hmm. And since it was like, it took place in Orange County and this one took place in Orange County at the beach. And I thought, oh my God, that's so good. It's such a good parallel. So my character in it is just this beautiful, privileged, but angry, angry woman <laughs> who, um, yeah, who who falls in love with a guy from the other side of the tracks, tattoos, motorcycle, XCON, con, and it's just it's my sweary one because everybody's really just uses a lot of bad language in it.
0: <laughs>
1: so okay. if this was my fun one. The next one's gonna be my sweary one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm all about I'm all about everybody getting together and what you would call it yenta.
0: Okay. um so what's the name of the the next one called
1: the next one's called The Dasher and um the reason why it's called The Dasher is because uh he falls first and falls really hard for her but you know considering the fact that she's just her life is just a dumpster fire and she hates herself and everybody else and um she just keeps pushing and trying to get on the good side of her and um she loved the show or she loved the show um uh, My Little Pony when she was younger and Rainbow Dash was like her favorite character and watching it with my daughter um you know a few years ago uh, about 10 years ago, she, um, I got to see all of the episodes and the root of like the core of that show is friendship
0: mm-hmm.
1: and how friendship can be the most powerful thing in the world is the biggest love that you could possibly have. And I like my male and female characters to not only be in love with each other, but also be best friends.
0: Right. And, um, that's, that's what makes it a nice, sweet, you know, romance, happy ending, that kind of thing. Um, so what's the cover going to look like for the Dasher?
1: Um, well, this cover, I wanted it to look like the endless summer poster, mm-hmm. uh, from the movie endless summer you know, which which is just like a silhouette on the beach with Mm -hmm. the pink and the yellow and everything. So I had, I did like my own kind of mock-up for the Dasher because, you know, he's supposed to be like this buff tattooed guy, um, which has never been my type, but I, you know, after Sons of Anarchy, I was like, all right. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I did a couple of mock-ups and I don't know, we'll see there yet I just signed the contract and I just went through my first round of edits uh, so and it's not gonna be on until later this year but I promise to share it when we uh, when we finalize it but I th- I'd like it to like kind of go along with this maybe with a more of a like mm-hmm. a bluish tint instead of yellow
0: mm-hmm. right. just so they can right. go together well what do you think I can't see my sweatshirt but what do you think about this design I love it. Okay. It reminds
1: me of a nightclub
0: in the eighties. It does. It does. It's kind of got (laughs) a nostalgic, that
1: uh, that meme with the two girls dancing.
0: (laughs) It's kind of got a nostalgic vibe and because of the screen being cut, you can't really see it, but I wanted to show it to you because if anybody wants the Talking Book Atlanta podcast sweatshirt, they're $25. Let me know your size and um, you can Venmo me at Perry Patterson books. And you can get one, um, I'll ship it to you, 25, um, and I'll include the talking book pens, which are nice, have the little logo on them too. So I just wanted to show that to you because we were talking about all things like 80s and I think my sweatshirt kind of has the vibe. Totally. It totally (laughs) has the vibe. Definitely. Totally, Totally. (laughs) okay so well that is good that you just um finished your third novel and you know that probably feels good I'm sure you've got another round of edits to go if not um maybe more more. yeah (laughs) remember the brain
1: doesn't work as you know as quickly as
0: oh yeah the editing process is definitely the longest process once you get the story on the page you at least accomplish that but Definitely, yeah. the editing is is definitely a lot longer,
1: yeah. well, I wrote the dasher in the um uh, the uh, no Rmo. I wrote it in a month.
0: okay. So wow. are you
1: familiar with that? No rhyme. Like through, through yeah, through throughout the month of November, you have to write a certain amount of words a day until you have fifty thousand word novel at the end of the month, yeah. Oh,
0: yeah, I, I did that in 2001 mm-hmm. and I wrote the Dasher. And that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have written, um, you know, as far as like first drafts, I have definitely written within a month or two, two, mo- usually it's about two months. Um, but my books are around 90 to a hundred K. So they're not, they're not, um, 50k you know they're 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 true you know they're true novels they're I mean I think I have one that's probably like 89k um which is probably my shortest one so it you know to to write it in in two months is pushing sometimes um it can be um and my last one's historical fiction so I did a lot of research for that so that took several years of research and then I had all the knowledge, so then you know it was just a matter of getting it onto the page. Um, but the editing process is is definitely long. It because, is, yeah. It I, like is. I said, it's I mean, i yeah. my
1: head against the desk, going, "I don't know what I'm
0: doing." Yeah. Uh, I don't know but, what I mean here. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. But the characters are screaming at me. They are, uh, yeah, absolutely. They're like, "Well, we
1: know who we are." We know
0: what we say and what we do, so just write that, woman. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's cool. All right, well, thank you, Cindy, so much yeah. for joining us on the Talking Book Atlanta podcast. Thank and you for um, me. I'm looking forward to reading the Perpetual. But you know how the TBR is like this. Oh yeah, it's always <laughs> it's I always know. so tall. But I. I, sometimes I'll read like a couple of books. Like I'll start one and then start it. Switch to another one. But I a lot of times I'll read on Kindle, and I can easily switch back and forth. Um, yeah. But um, I enjoy That's talking to That's right my choice
1: because you can make the letters really big.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes, and it's a great way to fall asleep at night, especially yes. in the dark, because you're, don't you need don't need the light on. It yeah, don't need the light. I love. That's one thing I love about the Kindle um yeah, so thank you so much for being on the podcast thank you for um having me. it was a lot of fun talking to you um and i enjoyed that and if you're looking for our next podcast guest we're going to interview a couple of people in the month of april one will be a middle grade writer named julianne fisher and we're going to have a new york times bestseller on patty callahan henry will be with us on april the 27th and you if you're a fan of patty callahan henry oh my gosh she writes amazing historical fiction and contemporary fiction both and um she's got a new book coming out in may so she will be doing a tour here in atlanta but before that we're going to have her on the podcast she starts the tour of her latest book. And I'm looking for college age students that want to talk about what's on their TBR for spring break. So you can DM me at the Talking Book Atlanta and let me know about you wanting to be on the podcast if you're a college student and want to talk about your TBR list. So. Thank you to everyone that was watching live and I'm going to edit this episode and I'm going to get it out on Spotify later. I will send you the link to it, Cindy. I will also have the link to listen in the Talking Book Atlanta stories and on my original pod, uh, on my original Instagram. It will also be there on that Instagram page too. And on the Talking Book Facebook, we will have the link to listen as well. So if you don't have Spotify. Don't worry, you can still listen from our links and I'll email that to you so you can share it.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much.
0: You are so welcome. Thank you for being with us. Good night, everyone. Have a great afternoon. Bye. Bye.
1: Bye. Thank you.